Ephesians 4.1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it's fun to be back in Ephesians today. As you know, in August we went through a series on uh, Ephesians. We're in a new series uh, for September called From This Day Forward. It's about relationships. And uh, I knew that we would be hitting this passage today, so kind of planned Ephesians uh, last month. And if you remember, we were talking about how the first three chapters in Ephesians is all about belief, doctrine. What does it mean uh, to have faith in Christ? What are the, the key elements that we believe? And then what we find in Ephesians in chapter 4 is that Paul kind of turns a corner. And as he turns a corner, uh, he starts to talk about not just what it means to believe in this, but how does that affect how we live? So after Ephesians 4, we get kind of like this behavior. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus how then should we live following him? How does that shape our ethics? How does it shape our relationships? How does it shape how we live in community? And the hope is that because of what we believe in, in our God and how that shapes how we live, we, we live up to our calling as followers of Jesus. And I love that phrase. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So in this relationship, or in this series where we're talking about relationships, talking about marriage and parenting or dating or families, uh, the relationships that matter most, I want to look at kind of like this series of relationships through this lens of how Paul is urging the church to act here in Ephesians chapter 4. And kind of the big idea for today, the main point is simply this. Communication, when it comes to our relationships... Communication is a pathway to share life. Communication is a pathway to share life. The way that we communicate, it can give life, it can make life miserable. Um, and we know this even in, in Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. I like Eugene Peterson's translation and the message. He says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, and you choose. The way that we communicate with each other, our words, is a pathway to life. Uh, I'm a big fan of Will Ferrell. Uh, kind of a goofball. The reason I like him so much is that when I was in middle school and high school, he was on Saturday Night Live. So... Like, my most formative years were formed by Will Ferrell, right? And, uh, and so you may like him, you may not. Um, but one of my favorite skits on Saturday Night Live, uh, one of my top three, I mean, I love Cowbell, I love Old Prospector, but the dysfunctional dinner party is one of my favorite skits. And when it comes to the way we communicate, I want to watch this quick skit and uh, just think about how it makes you feel. Let's watch it. What?
I had a funny thing happen today at work. When I left the office, I had trouble unlocking my car. Then I realized I had the wrong set of keys. Did somebody take your keys? Can I finish the story? <laughs> Turns out that I had accidentally taken Jeff Peabody's keys, and he had taken mine. We, we really had a long laugh. Mm, I thought that's who took them. Will you ever let me finish a story? <laughs> I, I just assume that Jeff I would Peabody... love to finish one story. Your stories are lame, Dad. You don't talk to me like that. Shut up! You don't talk to me I like that. I cannot believe it. I am a division manager. Voice. That is very important. Do not raise very your voice important. at me or you at You don't Paris. talk Do to me like me, that. Dad? People Do are you... scared of me. Why would anyone be scared of you? Did you pick up my dry cleaning? Mm, it's not ready until Thursday. I thought you said it'd be ready today. No, it's going to be ready Thursday. Well, you know I have that meeting tomorrow. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish you weren't a liar. I wish you wouldn't call me a liar. You do not talk oh, to me I like that. You, I said, you don't talk to me like that. I work too hard to deal with this stuff. I work too hard. I drive a Dodge Stratus. I drive a Dodge Stratus. That's amazing. I always love that. It's maybe a little too close to home for some people as we watch that. Uh, we, we obviously know this is a family trying to communicate, and they have all sorts of unresolved tension and pain, and they're snapping at each other. And it's funny because we can kind of like relate to it, and it's also terrifying. And I'm glad Tim edited that because there's language that we couldn't use. Um, but we see how communication is a pathway to life. Like, when we look at that family and see how they're communicating, what we would think is that there's dysfunction there. There's something that is, like, corroding. There's something that is unhealthy. And it's just, it's tense. They're walking on eggshells around each other. Um, when I think about, like, communication in my life, I, uh, I'm the kind of person that's an external processor. So I, I figure out what I'm thinking by talking. Marcy loves it. And... <laughs> But it's a problem when it comes to my children, when I communicate with my children, because the words that I use, uh, and, and, and we grow up hearing maybe uh, that, that old adage, like, uh, sticks and stones you know, may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Um, but the older we get, the, the more we know that's not true. And we may have a different perspective, uh, but a really well-placed line can be extremely painful, depending on who it comes from or when it comes from. And it doesn't matter how secure you are or strong, uh, words can still hurt. They absolutely can hurt. The way that we communicate, it's a pathway to life. It can be something that is poisonous or it could be something uh, that, is, that is fruitful. Um, our staff has been um, meeting on, we meet on Tuesday morning and we do this thing where each one of us is leading, reading a, a leadership book. And I have the staff do book reports. Doesn't that sound fun? Uh, so we all come to staff meeting, and <laughs> we've read a chapter of this, like, leadership book, and then we kind of, like, share, like, the takeaways. And so for me, it's like we're getting through, like, four leadership books at a time. We're growing, you know, growing as leaders and growing as, you know, family members, and, and so it's good. Well, Christine Altavilla has been coming to our staff meeting, and she brings in this book called Radical Collaboration. And one of the chapters was on uh, defensiveness. And she starts talking about defensiveness. I mean, if communication is a pathway to life, uh, defensiveness uh, is something that maybe like robs us of life. Uh, she brought up this point that remaining non-defensive is the single most important thing that you can do to increase your effectiveness 
when working to turn conflict into collaboration. So she starts going through the bullet points of this defensiveness. She said, you know, defensiveness is, is poison to good relationships. And there's this wonderful quote she shared that defensiveness is secrets we unknowingly keep from ourselves. And I'm thinking that's good stuff when it comes to collaboration, conflict resolution, like this is great for family or the workplace, like defensiveness. I'm like it's a good thing, like I'm not like super defensive because I can like hear this and I'm competitive. That's different than being defensive. And then she started to read kind of like uh, signs of defensiveness. And as I'm, you know, talking in the midst of her reading, the first thing she says is flooding information to prove a point is a sign of defensiveness. And I'm like, that's like my motto for life. Like I, <laughs> I flood people with information to prove my point. And then she said being kind of teachy or preachy is a sign of defensiveness. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So those two out of like 10, right? Not bad. And then sarcasm, a sign of defensiveness. Blaming, blaming, a sign of defensiveness. She's the one that brought this in. And, uh, so if you're nudging the person next to you, she's the one. Yeah. Uh, holding a grudge, a sign of defensiveness. Holding a grudge. Um, I started thinking about my, my uh, relationship with Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. <laughs> Personalizing everything, a sign of defensiveness. Someone who personalizes everything. Magnifying everything. Someone who magnifies everything is a sign of defensiveness. Obsessive thinking. Obsessive thinking, a sign of defensiveness. And then mind reading. And mind reading is not like, you can read mind so cool. No, it's, <laughs> mind reading is like assuming what the other people believe. And oftentimes it's worst case scenarios. Uh, we, we tend to do that where we assume something from the other. We're reading through this list and like all the signs of defensiveness and I get to the end and I'm like, I think I might be a defensive person. And when it comes to our communication, defensiveness is poison to good relationships. And this is something that can divide our families, it can divide our marriages, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our parents. We get defensive when it comes to our communication. That dinner scene of Will Ferrell and his family, what we find is super defensive people. There's this tension that's there. And Paul has words for this. When it comes to the relationships that matter most, when it comes to how we live life with each other, we get to this Ephesians chapter 4. And he's urging God's people to live a life worthy of their calling. Because how we live life matters. The way that we relate to others matters. And the first thing Paul does is he says this, be completely humble and gentle in your relationships. Completely humble and gentle. We've talked a lot about humility. You know, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis has a lot to say about humility. Um, I love uh, Peter in 1 Peter, he says, to clothe yourselves with humility. This idea of being humble. But then he goes on to say, be gentle as well. When I think of like gentleness, in relationships, we've got, my wife and I have four kids. One of them is a baby, Lila. Uh, she's now almost two. But for the last two years, uh, our children, as they've held our baby, the words that I would always say to them when they're holding the baby is gentle, gentle, gentle. Right? Gentle, gentle, gentle. Because especially Ezra, he's our four-year-old, um, he, he wields this spasmic power. 
And when he holds the baby, it's terrifying. And we want him to be gentle because uh, we know that he has something very fragile in his hands. We say gentle, gentle, gentle. Maybe a better translation of gentleness, and some translations will say this, is the idea of meekness, being meek. Meekness. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 11 says, The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The idea of meek, when we hear it, uh, in English, it rhymes with weeks. So we often make that kind of connection, that weakness is, meekness is weakness. But that's not what meekness means. Maybe a b- better definition of this idea of gentleness or meekness is this idea that having the right or power to do something but refraining for the benefit of someone else. Having the right or power to do something but refraining for the benefit of someone else. And this is true with our children. When they're holding Lila, we want them to be gentle and meek because they have this spasmic power to crush baby Lila. But for Lila's good, we want them to act a certain way. We don't want them to become weak, but we want them to become meek. There's a meekness to how they're relating to our baby. And Paul says this is how we relate to each other. There's a humility and a gentleness I've also heard that meekness is humility towards God and each other. The way that we interact. To refrain from things for the benefit of the other person. When it comes to our relationships, be completely humble. Be completely gentle. And I think our world is starving for this. I think that we live in a world where meekness isn't necessarily valued, but it's something that is absolutely needed to refrain for the benefit of others. And if the world's starving for this, this hunger isn't anything new. I mean, Paul's writing about this 2,000 years ago to a community. Be completely humble and gentle and meek with each other. What you're holding is fragile. With meekness, it can work. It can work. This is the same concept that comes out of the... uh, Bible verse that many of you know, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, this idea of meekness. First thing Paul does when it comes to our relationships, he says, be humble and be gentle. Second thing is he says, be patient, bearing with one another. Patient, a fruit of the Spirit. Patient, something that has been kind of a forgotten concept in our society, in our culture. I'm not a patient person. I don't like to be patient with my children. I don't like to be patient with my sports teams. I don't like to be patient when I'm driving. Everything about our culture says you don't have to be patient. We have options. We can choose something else. Whatever you want, you can get it pretty much whenever you want it. And we've forgotten, I think that we've forgotten how wonderful the world is with patience. When you've waited for something and hoped for something, and finally seen it accomplished. Followers of Jesus need to be really good with patience. In a community, in a culture of instant gratification, patience. I think patience is a huge advantage. Being willing to wait out, to wait on God, and be patient. Oftentimes, God works in ways that are slow, hidden in the shadows. 
when we're patient in our relationships, we can see that. A couple of years back, I read a book um, that really kind of inspired me as a pastor, but inspired me relationally. Again, it was by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, talking about this idea of, of patience, bearing with God, bearing with one another. Being patient. Patient with people. Another translation of this patience and long, and, uh, is, is long-suffering. Think about that word, long-suffering. That doesn't sound uh, as pleasant as patience. But kind of this idea of being willing to wait. Being willing to allow God to work and not moving before he works. Bearing with one another. Forbearing is another way that's translated. I think our families need this. Marriages need this. Our relationships need patience and forbearing. There's humility and gentleness and then patience and forbearing. And then uh, goes on to say, make every effort to keep unity. The words that we use, what does it mean to be patient with our words? Um, I, uh, I actually really like poetry. It's kind of strange. It's not something I talk about a lot. I was reading about how something like 30, 35% of the Bible is poetry. So if you want to be good with scripture, you should learn to understand poetry. Poetry is a way of communicating things before it's understood. And uh, so I, I like poetry. There's, there's two things I kind of like but don't really talk about, poetry and Star Wars novels. But um, <laughs> came across this poem, and I just thought about this idea of, of patience and using our words, refraining from saying things, being gentle. Here's the poem. It says, a wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like this wise old bird? Oh, that's good. There's patience there in listening. There's patience there in refraining. There's patience there. There's things that we hear when we're not speaking up, when we're not acting out of emotion, when we refrain. And make every effort to keep unity, is what Paul says. Another translation says, in endeavoring to keep unity. The Greek word for endeavoring is spudadzo. I think that's a great word, spudadzo. This idea of endeavoring to keep unity. And I always hear this phrase, um, make every effort to keep unity, as a justification of why we broke unity. I made every effort on my part and uh, couldn't figure it out. Very often do I hear this as there's an urge from Paul to say, Make an effort to keep unity. Keep at it in your relationships. Keep working at it. Keep focusing. Keep, keep trying. Keep persevering. Doesn't mean that every relationship makes it, but make every effort to keep unity on your side. William Barclay, writing on this passage, says this. When it comes to making every effort to keep unity, says, every one of the great Christian virtues depends on the obliteration of self. So long as self is at the center of things, this oneness can never fully exist. In a society where self predominates, men cannot be other than a disintegrated collection of individualistic and warring units. But when self dies, and Christ springs to life within our hearts, then comes the peace, the oneness, which is the great hallmark of the true church. When the self dies and Christ springs to life within our hearts is where this unity is found. This wholeness within our families, this wholeness with, 
our children with the relationships that matter most comes. I read that quote and I was thinking, defensiveness is poison for relationships. And if communication is a pathway to life, what is the most dangerous thing for our relationships? The most dangerous thing for my relationships is me. The most dangerous thing for your relationships is you. The most dangerous thing for your families is you. As, as Paul is writing to these people, he's talking about them, reflecting on themselves. Make every effort. Forbear. Be patient. Be gentle. Be humble. It's not easy. But we're able to focus on our obliterating our selfishness, obliterating our own agenda, the things that we get defensive about. Christ can spring forth in our life. Our communication becomes life-giving, this pathway to life. Our communication becomes life-giving when we obliterate selfishness and let Christ spring forth in all we do. We have different types of relationships. Some of us are married. Some of us are no longer married. Some of us have children. Some of us are children. Uh, some of us have friends. Some of us have a small core group of friends. Some of us has a large group of friends. What brings about harmony and unity, what Paul is stressing here, is a reflection of who Christ is. When we put to death ourselves, Christ springs forth in our life. And our hope is today that you would come to this place of surrender with all the things that bring about stress that cause the dysfunctional dinner table and say, Lord, I need more of you and less of me. Each week we, uh, we close our time with communion. Communion is something that is sacred to us as a community. When we celebrate communion, we recognize that we live in a broken world. There's fallen people. There's fallen relationships. Yet in the midst of that brokenness, God has intervened. We take a couple elements that represent something that's been broken. We take bread and it represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross. Through the breaking open of that bread, all the things that are broken inside of us can be put back together. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. We believe that this, uh, this sacrifice was something that cleanses us from our brokenness. And we proclaim it as we take it. It's a time of surrender for us. A time of recognition that God does things in our life that we can't do ourselves. And we trust him for peace. We trust him for salvation. Today as we uh, get ready to take communion, I want to think about it in the lens of our relationships with each other and how we communicate the words that we use, whether or not we are humble and gentle, whether or not we are patient and forbearing, whether or not we make efforts to keep unity with each other. And before we come to the communion table, to make ourselves right with God in those areas. What are the things that need to be reconciled? What are the things that I'm doing that are causing more dysfunction? What are the things that are happening to me that I just need to heal from? coming to the table today with that. And then as the band comes up and we get ready to move to communion, one of the things I love doing is when we read scripture corporately together. And before we move to the communion table, I wanted to do that today. When it comes to our communication, our words, um, 
that they would honor God. And so if we could rise to our feet, I want to read the psalm together. And I'll read it first, and then we'll read it together. But these are the words of this prayer. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we could read this together, let this be our prayer today. Let's, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for communicating with us through prayer, communicating to us through your word. It's life-giving. Lord, this challenge from Paul is he urges us to live a life worthy of our calling. We acknowledge that that's not easy. Yet we know that the words that we use, the way that we communicate, it can produce fruit or it can be poisonous to our relationships. I pray for just a spirit of humility, of meekness, that we'd be a patient people, that we'd persevere, that we'd make every effort, Lord, to live in unity, that we would offer grace and mercy as you have done to us, that we would love others the way that you've loved us. Lord, reveal things in our heart that are hard, that are poisonous. Do a renewing work within our soul. Let how we interact with others, Lord, reflect your love for us. May you bring peace to places that are chaotic, painful, dysfunctional right now. May your spirit, Lord, flow through us with all of its fruit. May we have wisdom and discernment to understand when we need to establish boundaries, when we need to reach out. May your peace be here, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.